Welcome to the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast, the official podcast of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. We are talking hunting, fishing, and conservation with engaging guests and in-depth discussions with game and fish staff. It's Arkansas Wildlife, the podcast for all things outdoors in the natural state. Welcome to the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast. I am Trey Reed, Assistant Chief of Communications and the host of the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I am joined virtually, uh, a little bit different format for our podcast, by Brad Heidel, Senior Director of Marketing for Delta Waterfowl. Brad, welcome to the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm I'm glad to be here virtually, but I'm really looking forward to being in Arkansas in the next couple of weeks. Well, yeah, that's one of the reasons we wanted to get you on, Brad, is a big event coming up. Delta Waterfowl is having its uh, Duck Hunters Expo here in Little Rock at the State House Convention Center, July 28th, 29th, and 30th. So we're just a, a little over two weeks out from that. Uh, Brad, where, let me ask, where are you, uh, where are you uh, joining us from today? Yep, I live uh, just a little bit outside of Madison, Wisconsin. I'm fortunate enough to be able to work out of my home. Um, so it's just me and the two labs here most of the day. And it's, you know, it's getting to be a long day when I start actually hearing them talk. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to work from home. And uh, it's a beautiful day in Wisconsin. We could use a little rain if you have any to spare. But uh, we have been in a little bit of a, a kind of a flash drought here after a very wet spring, but we got some big rainfall uh, over over the weekend. Some of this, uh, uh, and it's actually a little bit nicer here uh, temperature wise to, today. The last few days, uh, it was uh, pretty oppressively hot last week, and uh, let's hope for the sake of everybody coming down to the uh, Duck Hunters Expo that maybe some of this cooler weather and when i say cooler i mean highs in the upper 80s as opposed to the upper 90s or those triple digits but uh anyway enough about the weather brad yeah duck hunters expo uh first time last year came to yes. little rock uh and, and you're coming back to little rock i'm guessing that means we we it was pretty successful last year it was a, extremely successful i don't think we could have been any more pleased with the way the uh the entire event came together from start to finish um you know, when you start getting compliments from the people that attend and how well organized it was and how and really how it was a duck hunters expo. It was just nothing but duck hunters and duck hunting equipment and duck hunting outfitters and ducks, 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 as far as the eye could see in that convention center. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. I could tell you last year, the folks at the convention center told me they'd never have that or they'd never had that many 10 by 10 exhibitors in that on that show floor. I put another 50 in there this year. So, so you thought it was big last year. It's even bigger this year. We're we're expanding. We got people out in the streets this year. <laughs> So for, for those that may have missed it last year or who are interested in coming, tell us, you know, yes, Duck Hunters Expo, that kind of says what it is. I mean, it's a, but, but what, what can folks expect? You know, um, uh, obviously duck hunter stuff, anything based on duck hunting. But the really cool thing is, is we kick off the entire event with the duck dog parade and the duck dog parade starts at 11 o'clock on Friday. You know, it's tough to hunt ducks, and I personally wouldn't choose to hunt ducks without a dog. They're really are the star of the show. So we walk the dogs uh, right through downtown Little Rock, and they are the first ones in the door on um, Friday morning uh, into the expo. 
Um, pretty cool deal to see a bunch of Labradors trucking down Main Street, Little Rock. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And then, um, you know, the doors open at noon on Friday, and it's open to the public. Uh, anyone 16 and under gets in for free. We want this to be a family event. So we don't want to put any burden on bringing your kids down. Bring everyone. Bring the whole family and spend the whole afternoon, the whole day there on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but throughout the day, we'll have different seminars and sessions going on. We've got three different stages on that show floor. We've got a Delta waterfall stage where we're going to do, be doing a lot of wild game cooking. We have a stage dedicated directly to duck dogs. So we have a whole duck dog stage. And then we've just got a general duck hunter stage, which is just going to be all the greatest and latest uh, tips and tactics on, on bagging greenheads in Arkansas. So um, lots to do. Well, Little Rock certainly very excited about welcoming the uh, Duck Hunters Expo with Delta Waterfowl back. How, how did yeah? How, how'd you end up with Arkansas? How'd you pick Arkansas? You know, we're pretty proud of our duck hunting culture and, and heritage mm -hmm. here, and so uh, you, you know we talk a lot about it. But it's it's interesting that when a uh, an organization that's not you know headquartered here decides to come here, mm -hmm. how, what 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 went into that decision? You know it. it it all came down to really a no-brainer for me and the organization when we decided to pick Little Rock. Um, what I did was I looked at number of duck hunters per state. You can get those numbers from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I looked at number of uh, Delta Waterfowl members in a state. And then I looked at the number of Delta Waterfowl chapters in a state. And Arkansas rose to the top. And so Arkansas rose to the top. You need to have it in the largest city in Arkansas. Boom, Little Rock. And it's been spectacular. The, the folks in uh, Little Rock have been nothing short of spectacular to work with. Well, that certainly excites us to uh, to hear that about how folks and then, you know, I, I we, we recorded several episodes of this podcast mm -hmm. uh, at the expo and the Game and Fish booth last year. And, of course, spent some time walking around the, the show floor. And it is if you're. Uh, you know, if you're listening to us today, uh, it, it is a really incredible show. It's a lot of fun. You can see the the newest gear. Uh, you you mentioned Brad, all of the you know the various stages. If you want to, you know, uh, how to take care of your dog better, how to train better. Uh, you want to learn those uh, ticks, uh, tips and uh, tactics uh, uh, about waterfowl hunting. Uh, just a, just a lot of great stuff. Uh, Brad, let's shift gears a little mm -hmm. bit. We'll talk more about the expo, but but I, I want to talk a little bit about Delta Waterfowl. What just great? Get, tell us tell us what Delta Waterfowl is and what it does, what its mission is. Uh, uh, enlighten our listeners, if you would. Absolutely. Well, it's one of my favorite topics, so you know, so, so you made it easy for me. Uh, you know, the neat thing about Delta Waterfowl is we are the duck hunters organization, and if it doesn't benefit duck hunters directly we do not do it so we were founded in 1911 uh, so a very very long time ago by james ford bell who used to own general mills in uh, minneapolis and his intent was to put back two ducks for every duck he took and he was trying to figure out ways that he could do that but then also do it on a larger scale so he actually brought what we all consider the godfather of conservation, Aldo Leopold, up to the Delta Marsh to the research station up there to help him best figure out how this can be done. So from the very start, 
we've always been and continue to be a science-based organization. You know, the research that we do, the students that we put through the organization, all move on to larger waterfall jobs, whether it be state agencies or federal agencies. So they're shaping the waterfall world, not only in the past, but well into the future based on science. So what we really have here is four pillars that we work with as an organization. We've got science and education. We have our Hunter Three, which is going to be retention, reactivation, and recruitment of new hunters. We have our habitat pillar. And then our favorite pillar is always going to be duck production, which is putting more ducks over decoys. And that's what we want to do as an organization. So we have programs with 30 years of research behind them that proves that these programs work. And there's two really big programs that we we like to uh, really throw our hat in the ring on, and that's uh, our hen house nesting structures for mallards, which basically are overwater nesting structures for hen mallards. They are the they are the the ducks that use these nesting structures the most. And then we also have our predator management, and and what we need to do is we need to make these nests very successful. So the average duck hunter. In, including myself, until I started working with Delta Waterfowl, didn't know that roughly 90% of all nests in the prairie pothole region get hit by predators. That's pretty significant. You wonder how we can have a duck left. <laughs> but what our what our goal and what we do is is try to mitigate that, and we do it extremely well. We're very successful with it on the hen house program and the predator management program. So what we uh, what we're rolling into now as is an organization is is our million duck campaign, which we announced at the expo last year, and the organization is going to put a million ducks into the fall flight, additional ducks into the fall flight every year into perpetuity, and that's through those two different programs with two hundred fifty thousand of those ducks coming from hen houses and another 750,000 of those ducks coming from our predator management programs. That's where we're concentrating our efforts right now. Let's dive a little deeper into that predator management. What what does that look like? I mean, what does that look like on the on the ground? On the ground, in, in all reality, it's taking predators out of the system. So when you look at the prairie pothole region, um, 50 years ago, there were no raccoons in the prairie pothole region. They weren't that far north. And now it's it's inundated with raccoons. And, and that's just one of the predators that is uh, really taking its toll on, uh, you know, ground nesting birds. Um, it's, it's, it's trapping. It's trapping is, is really what it is. And people people often said, well, you, you can't do that on a, on a large scale basis. Well, actually you can if you do it right. And so what we do is, is we we go in and we determine what a trapping hotspot is gonna be. And this is where there's extremely high density of nesting birds in one area. And then we surround that area and, and trap that area in particular. And we do that in different blocks. And it's it proves to be extremely successful. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh 
membership? How many, what, what's Delta's membership look like uh, both nationally? And uh, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, Arkansas is uh, uh, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of duck hunters active with Delta yep. waterfowl in Arkansas. So if you have, if, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot. I mean, but if you have some numbers for Arkansas, I'd love to hear about those as well. You know, um, off, off the top of my head, I, I can't give you uh, Arkansas numbers because it's just not something that I know off the top of my head. I'd be, no problem. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be blowing smoke <laughs> if I did. Um, however, I can tell you that uh, Delta waterfowl is probably the best kept secret out there as far as uh, as far as waterfowlers are, are concerned. Um, we're the little engine that could, and, and we really hit it hard for duck hunters. Um, you know, our average membership is right now is hovers around that 60,000 mark. Um, for North America, so we'd love to be bigger. So those folks on the on the are listening in today, please become a member of Delta Waterfowl. But uh, we've got roughly sixty thousand members. We have uh, three hundred and twenty-five local chapters around the United States that hold annual uh, fundraisers to uh, support the mission of putting more ducks on the ground. Ducks over decoys. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. We you mentioned. Uh, it, it- you know, kind of a call to action there. If somebody wanted to become a member of Delta Waterfowl listening to this podcast uh, right now, uh, how do they do that? Uh, well, there's two different ways of doing it. Um, it. Everyone that comes down to the expo this year is going to get a uh, complimentary six-month uh, membership, digital membership to the organization. So they could come down and buy their $10 ticket and uh, get a free six-month digital membership. That's the easiest and least expensive way to do it. And then uh, obviously you can just go to uh, deltawaterfowl.org org and uh, you can sign right up there. So, Good yeah, deal. pretty simple to do. Absolutely. I was not aware of that component of, uh, of Duck Hunter Expo attendance, getting, getting you a six-month membership. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, as far, I, I want to get back into some of the research. You, you mentioned Delta uh, founded in 1911, and I know, you know, the, the Delta Marsh, a, a, a famous uh, uh, landscape, if you will, for, for research. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's talk about some, maybe some of the research uh, in the past. That What, what would be some, some uh, examples that you might hold up uh, that, that have... Um, uh, inform sure. waterfowl management over, over the past 112 years, I guess we're talking about now. You know, well, I will, um, uh, well, one of the things they determined real quick was you cannot take uh, 10 raised mallards and release them <laughs> into the wild. Uh, that's one thing that they tried right off the start. I'm guessing that was, one, that was one of the ways to put the two ducks back <laughs> for yes. the one you took out and figured out pretty quickly that uh, uh, those uh, uh, pin-raised birds, uh, you know, we, we we know that in Arkansas from trying things with quail and other, other uh, yep. ground nesting birds. So figure that out pretty quick huh? yeah figure that out pretty quick it would have been really nice if that were work because it would have been pretty simple but uh they figured that that just didn't work um and then obviously you know for the past 30 years um a lot of that research has gone in just into the different uh, uh nesting structures which we call hen houses um so those hen house structures what's the best structure what works well what's the best place to to put them, etc. How far, uh, how high above the water, you know, things like that. And we we really have settled on it's almost a tube type structure that we roll 
and uh, and those get rolled up, and the hen actually slides right inside and, and puts her nest pretty much right in the middle of those nesting structures. Um, what we have learned is um, they have to be maintained on a yearly basis. So it's a it's an expensive way to do it, but still a very cost effective way at the same time. Um, we uh, hire people to do that because it's it's pertinent that these are maintained on a yearly basis. Otherwise, they just like they would look like trash in the swamp, and nobody wants to see. Uh, just a wire mesh type deal sitting out in the middle of the swamp. Uh, so we have we hire people to go out and hit those, and, and and they and they monitor them every year to see what kind of success we've had with them, and then just what kind of uh, shape they're in. And if they're in poor shape, uh, they pu actually pull them out. And if or if they're really poor shape, they pull them out. And if they're in poor shape, they simply maintain them by putting um, new grass in them and stuff in them. That's uh, one thing. Predator management was another thing. 30 years of research into determining how to uh, figure out what a hot spot is and how to best trap it. Um, lures is another thing we'll do a research on is what's the best lures to use for these yeah, folks. How do, how do you get those predators yep. attracted to an area uh, 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 other than the, the duck nest we're trying to protect? <laughs> exactly. You know, and then, uh, you know, you asked for an example of some ways that, that, that really made it uh, a neat difference as far as maybe as regulations and things are that concerned. So uh, we recently did a, a, uh, a project where we put uh GPS trackers on ringnecks in uh, Georgia and Florida, because uh, a lot of the the folks felt that those those ringnecks in Georgia and Florida were flying straight up the East Coast into Canada, into Eastern Canada, and that's where they were nesting and and, and breeding and what have you. And a lot of the uh, the bag limits and things like that were are based upon you know that as one of the species which they determine those limits, et cetera, right? So what we found out was actually the vast majority of those ringnecks in Georgia and Florida were flying up into the prairie pothole region and not up the East Coast and nesting into Eastern Canada. So uh, it just goes to show you what, what the duck factory is all about and how so many ducks are going to the prairie pothole region. You look at canvas backs as well. You know, the, all the canvas backs that are eventually ending up on the East Coast are coming up from that prairie pothole region as well. So kind of contributing to a greater understanding, I mean, of of flyways and how maybe there's some some overlap. And, you, you know, we, we absolutely we Atlantic and, and Mississippi and, and Central and, and Pacific. But at, at some point, especially, I think when we're talking about the, the breeding grounds, the prairie pothole region, a lot of it just originates there and they fan out. It sounds like what you're, you're saying. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, and just to bring up prairie pothole region, you know, and, and uh, there's there's a lot of our, our, our folks that when we talk to folks from from the southern states, like, well, where do all your ducks come from? Well, they come from over those trees over there. <laughs> and uh you know it's 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 yes they do that but they also come they do come from the prairie pothole region roughly 70 percent of of the birds harvested on a yearly basis are are coming from that area so that is where we as an organization concentrate our efforts uh, 
uh, is prairie potholes because uh, we want to be as efficient as possible with the dollars that uh, are not only donated to the organization but are raised through our local chapters and through our volunteers. We want to make sure we're putting their money to work, and uh, we get a, we we get a pretty good uh, rate of return on those dollars as far as ducks are concerned. One more question re related to Delta Waterfowl before we get back to talking about the expo uh, a little bit. One of the things that's always struck me and what I've read about Delta is, you know, and you mentioned it's it's always kind of been based in, in science and, and research. But Delta, I'd like for you to maybe elaborate a little bit on Delta's role as sort of a proving ground or training ground for generations now of, of waterfowl scientists and waterfowl managers. I know Delta historically yep. has played a, 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 a critically important role in, in, in that aspect of waterfowl management and like training those, uh, those biologists, those managers to, you know, uh, carry that science mm -hmm. and, and, and apply it in the field. Yeah. Um, and and that's been a longstanding tradition of the organization. You can you can uh, you can go all the way back to Alba Leopold when when he came up to the Delta Marsh originally and brought his best student Albert Hochbaum up to there, and who really was you know the the, the grassroots of the organization once uh, once Mr. Bell and, and Aldo um, left and went their other ways. Um, Albert stayed up there and really you know got stuff done as far as uh, science was concerned and, and education and it just rolled from there um we still continue to put students through our programs to date um we have students right now uh putting uh, uh tracking devices on birds in saskatchewan and we're doing some drone research up there as well to to figure out the best way to uh figure out brood counts and things like that and a lot of these students in in and don't quote me on this number, but I believe total to date, we've had about 350-ish students actually do their doctorate theses through our programs and, and, and with Delta Waterfowl um, guiding them down the way. And those people like you had said, move on to state and federal agencies to really determine the future of waterfowl and waterfowl hunting for years to come. You know, and, and I'm and I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, Trey. Ah, please, that's that's the beauty this, of a podcast, Brad. <laughs> because this this is one of one of one of our favorite programs, which we haven't talked about yet, is our university hunting program, and th this is a program that we go into some of the top wildlife universities in the country, and we take a group of students who have never hunted before. And we take them through the entire process. And we started out a few years ago doing nine of these universities. And we take them through their hunter education. We take them to the range, teach them to shoot. We take them out on their first hunt. We show them how to clean game. We show them how to cook game. And then they get to eat it. Last year, I believe we did. We were up to 75 universities that we have this program in. And the crazy thing about it, Trey, is that when, and I'm, a, I'm an older guy, I'm 56 years old. When I was growing up, everybody who went into wildlife hunted and fished. So, so the, the organization that you work for, everybody hunted and fished. And right now, 
it's really closer to 30% of those people that are going into our wildlife organizations actually hunt and fish. And these are people that are making decisions about what we care about as hunters so much. And we want to at least give them the ability to see why we cherish this so much. And, and, and it's, it's really changing hearts and minds. It's, it's pretty, pretty darn cool. Brad, I'm glad you went off on, on that tangent because we actually got to experience one of the uh, Delta Waterfowl University hunt program hunts, actually a couple of hunts uh, last year, University mm-hmm. of Central Arkansas, uh, as well as the University of Arkansas uh, at Fayetteville. Uh, one of uh, Luke Naylor, our, our former waterfowl program coordinator mm-hmm. here at Arkansas Game of Fish, who's now our chief of wildlife. Uh, his 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 wife is a professor at UCA, so he's got a lot of connections there. But uh, and, and one of our commissioners, or actually a couple of our commissioners, Anne Marie Duramus and J.D. Mm-hmm. Neely, uh, offered up their uh, their property to host some of these students uh, overnight hunts, and uh, we we had a ball. And, and you are exactly right; it was it was really fun to see some of these students and, and i think for the most part most of the students there was a couple that had some had some experience uh waterfowl mm-hmm. hunting but but most did and just to yeah. uh, you know see kind of the light bulb going off in their in their head was uh w- w- was really cool and just to, I, I think beyond that just the fun they had i mean yeah. they, they they really had a good time on those hunts it's uh, crazy we took six gals out trey uh, from university of colorado um and they went on an epic snow goose hunt you know those snow goose hunts that we just dream of this was their first time out hunting six gals it was all females two of those gals were vegans and those two gals shot and killed geese cleaned them and ate them oh wow and and have since become two very I don't want to use a proficient, but they are out hunting all the time now. They've taken whitetails, they've taken pheasants, they've taken uh, more waterfowl, and and it's just it just goes to show you that it's just, generations think differently, and that's okay. But these gals were not opposed to eating meat. What they were opposed to was not knowing where their meat was coming from, and now they have a source and a way to actually go out and and get meat, know where it came from know how it was cared for and enjoy it and it's just cool stories like that that yeah that's a yeah that's uh that, that is a very cool story um yeah that university hunt program uh re- really really cool project and i think one of the things that you know you you alluded to you know maybe you know best estimates 30 percent of students who are entering you know the waterfowl management field now with some hunting experience that means 70 mm-hmm. percent are are not yeah. uh, experienced but and I, I think you're seeing this as a general trend or a shift in in wildlife management in general is that we've for so long have focused on the species whether we're talking white-tailed deer or waterfowl or Mm -hmm. pheasants or you know whatever the the case may be and less on the people and if you're only making the decisions based Mm -hmm. on yeah yeah yeah, let's by all means put the birds first let's put the ducks first is in our hierarchy of you know decision making Mm -hmm. right there but you know one of the things i think we're learning in as a management agency here in arkansas and across the country is that 
if you don't have that buy-in from the public, if you don't consider what the, the field we call human dimensions of, of wildlife management, if you don't consider that, then sometimes your, your, your best management strategies are going to fall flat because you don't have that public support. So if your managers don't understand, uh, you know, what, what hunting's all about, what, what, uh, the constituency who, who uses this resource, uh, wants, desires, uh, expects, uh, mm -hmm. you, you're, you're, you're probably not going to get very far. Are, are you seeing that in, in your agency there? And, and if you are, how are you addressing it? Well, I, I think that's a great question, Brad. And, and I think in, in the case of Arkansas, we are a largely rural state. Uh, you know, we've got a little over 3 million people. About a third of those live in two population centers in central Arkansas and, and northwestern Arkansas. But that means uh, two thirds live in rural areas. And so the especially with duck hunting, because it's so deeply ingrained in the culture here, I think if you, I mean, you know, and, and I, I can't, this is going to be speculative to an extent, but just because I know a lot of the people who work here, sure, I, I think our percentage of people that are, that are, you know, biologists and wildlife managers, they came from a hunting background. A lot of them did, but I certainly think when you look at it more, maybe on a national scale and you mentioned generational differences, uh, we know uh, you mentioned uh, R3 recruitment, retention and reactivation. We know fewer people are, are hunting than, than used to. I mean, as technology advances, as uh, we become a more urban society in general, and I'm talking about not necessarily Arkansas specifically, but nationally in the in the U.S., that you're going to have fewer people with that, you know, maybe rural cultural background. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, I mean, I know that's kind of a long winded answer to your question, but I will say that I have seen, I, I will celebrate 17 years working at Arkansas game and fish uh, about the start of duck season this year in November. Mm -hmm. And I think our our agency looks a little bit different than it than it used to, uh, and people with more diverse backgrounds are working here. Yep. And so I do think, but but what I have seen more than anything else is a shift away from strictly looking at the wildlife species and really more of a focus on the hunter too, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. beyond hunters, well, just, I mean, people that view wildlife and just enjoy seeing wildlife, uh, 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 as, as observers, whether they're hunters or not. But I mean, I think we're, we're starting to pay and rightfully so more attention to the human aspect of it and mm -hmm. not just the wildlife aspect. Now is, is Arkansas similar to a lot of other states where, where your agency is strictly funded through, through license sales and, and permit sales and not general fund? No, we are uh, unique. Uh, we're not unique because Missouri has a, a dedicated conservation tax, but we have a, a conservation sales tax. that's been in mm -hmm. effect for since 1997. Uh, and so we get uh, about a third of our revenue comes from license sales, about a third from and, and uh, the percentages are probably going to be a little bit off. But I mean, it, it just for our purposes here, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it is easier to explain. A third comes from federal funding, you know, Pippin mm -hmm. Robertson, Dingle Johnson, sure. you know, those those federal grants. Uh, 
but but about a third of it uh, comes, or maybe a little more, comes from uh, what we call Amendment 75 in Arkansas, approved by voters in 1996. And so we get at Game and Fish 45% of the one-eighth of 1% percent sales tax mm-hmm. uh, our state parks and tourism commission gets 45 percent and uh natural heritage uh gets nine percent and keep arkansas beautiful kind of an anti-litter uh, sure. uh campaign gets gets one percent of that so yeah we we are a little different than most states mm-hmm. so we do have to look at what what well, we we've always held wildlife you know it's it, it's it's held in the public trust right i mean that's the north american model of wildlife yep. management and our doctrine and but i think states like us in missouri and i think there's maybe some others that are getting some dedicated funding outside of license sales now you you do have to kind of take those things into consideration yeah minnesota is another one um and that's that's great because it you know um for so long, the agencies and, and our wildlife has been, you know, really on the backs of hunters and fishermen and with with really almost all being able to use that resource and enjoy that resource. But j- just hunters and fishermen are typically have been bearing the, the burden of that and uh, can, will continue to gladly do so. But uh, it's nice that the, some 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 folks other than hunters and fishermen in Arkansas have a little bit of skin in the game there. I have 100% agreement on that. And, you know, I think those of us, and I've duck hunted, I'm 53, Brad, and I've duck hunted since, you know, I mean, didn't necessarily carry a gun, but I've been out there, you know, with with parents and stuff since I was four years old. And those of us that have have grown up in it and it's part of our lives certainly understand that, but uh, the, the intrinsic value of wildlife, for, for no other sake, just being there. Right. Yeah. You know, but I, I think when, when, when others can, can share some of that, uh, uh, stewardship, if you will, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's certainly a benefit to, to everybody. Let's shift back, uh, talking a little bit about the expo before we wrap things up. I, uh, I, I had a ball there last year. What, what did you enjoy, uh, like, what aspect of the expo did you enjoy? And I know you're, you're busy. I mean, I was like, yep. I was coordinating with you for weeks leading up to the event with some media and things like that. But I, you know, I saw you at the expo and you're just like, you're like the flash just constantly running around, making sure things are, are going the way they're going to go. But did you have any time to, to actually, you know, kind of take things in? And if so, what were, what, what were the things that really like jumped out at you? What'd you enjoy? You know, there's, there's two things that, that I really enjoy about this expo. And, and one is it gives, it gives us Delta waterfall. I, like I said earlier, we're the little engine that could, and we want to, we want to continue to grow because the more we grow, the more ducks we can put over decoys. So what this really allows us to do is just tell our story to a whole nother group of people. Um, you know, it's, it's exciting to be able to, inform people about who we are as an organization and what we do so hopefully they'll become a member of the organization which in turn allows us to do more great things um that's pretty exciting um it, it was great to see entire families there um which i will say again to bring your children they get in for free um, we don't want you to leave them at home we want them to be future duck hunters uh so so bring your bring your children don't bring your dogs, please. <laughs> bring your children, though. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm 
I'm fortunate enough to be able to work in the, in the waterfowl hunting industry. So we're talking about ammunition manufacturers, firearms manufacturers, clothing manufacturers, etc. And um, and what they said after this event really made me happy. They they were so excited about how well it was run, and the fact that it was nothing but a duck hunting centric event. Uh, there were people in there selling gutter helmets, sham wows, what have you, uh, my pillows. I mean, it was duck hunting from corner to corner, from ceiling to floor. Um, and, and that's it's pretty neat when you're able to get that that group together. Move forward to this year. I, I was, and, you read my mind. I was going to ask yeah, you what. The... Um, I've got I've got folks just clamoring to get into this event and be, and be part of it and and it it's incredible what it how it went from from strictly an idea that that I had such we had as an organization to where it is today in a year it's unbelievable unbelievable and and just to to see the potential of not just this year but well into the future of what this event could turn into is pretty darn exciting yeah if uh just walking around last year uh i i mean i thought it was going to cost uh, the arkansas game and fish commission some money because my uh my videographers that work with me on our video production for the mm -hmm. agency uh uh you know they were they were trying on waders and coats and uh <laughs> looking at look, yeah. looking at boss shot shells and uh apex and uh so many uh, <laughs> if you are a duck hunter and you are listening to this podcast or even maybe if you're thought about being a duck hunter or interested in becoming a duck hunter it is certainly an event that you don't want to miss july 28th through 30th at the state house convention center there is i mean it is wall to wall duck hunting stuff <laughs> it is it is and uh, please come on down have a great time um learn a little bit more about how you can be a better duck hunter how your dog can be a better retriever and uh, how you can get somebody else in the outdoors well brad heidel great stuff uh brad is the senior marketing director for delta waterfowl and is the uh the He's the brains, the muscle, all of the above behind the Duck Hunters Expo that's coming to the State House Convention Center in Little Rock, uh, July 28th, 29th, and 30th. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us about Delta Waterfowl and the Duck Hunters Expo today here on the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast. Uh, been a pleasure catching up with you and uh, great information. Thank you so much, Brad. Hey, you're welcome. And uh, we look forward to seeing y'all at State House Convention Center in a couple of weeks. Yes, sir, Brad. We'll be podcasting down there. So come on by and uh, see us at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission booth. Uh, that is, concludes this episode of the Arkansas Wildlife Podcast. We'll catch you next time.